Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a journalist investigates a 1990s murder in California's marijuana country. Was Bigfoot the killer? We'll talk about the Hulu true crime series Sasquatch. Plus, he killed more than 30 teens and buried most of them in his crawl space. Is there more to the story? We'll review John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise from Peacock. Join me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is author, private investigator, certified pet detective, and resident cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. And finally with us, our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, RL. I, I feel like I'm like recording this podcast in another dimension because I, I, you guys have different scenery behind both of you. We're still in our closet. Laura, you are away on a trip, right? Because you're vaccinated and you can do such things. Yeah, yeah. We are down in the space coast of Florida. We saw a, a SpaceX launch yesterday. Uh, Fireman. Wow. Yeah. Thanks to Michelle Womble. She's one of our Brichter Scale members who's awesome. And she lives in this area, has given me all sorts of great suggestions of things to do. Mm. And she clued me into the launch. And uh, yeah, and Fireman Ken's taking up surfing. And um, what? It was, it, you really take a beating learning to do yeah, surfing. True. Is Fireman Ken going to need like a new moniker someday? Is he going to be like Surfing Ken or Cruising Ken or, you know, Hang 10 Ken, something like that? Malibu Ken. Ken? Is that what we're Malibu going Ken. Malibu <laughs> Ken. Oh, that's perfect. Maybe that's, okay, that's it. His that's new the winner. Name. That's yeah. the winner. Yeah. And, and yeah. Toby, you look like you are in your family cottage on the beautiful Lake Winnipesaukee. Is that where you are? I, I am indeed. It's it's beautiful, but it's also like 50 and rainy. Yeah. So. Mm. so question about your background. When they built your family cottage, did they use all of the wood paneling in Home Depot or just some of the wood paneling in this Home Depot? This is actually a uh, uh, not quite finished 
they they redid like one of the sleeping porches. Ah. So it's in like 80% done. Nice. So that's where I'm hanging out. Nice. So. It's better than when you were up there last time and you were recording the podcast upstairs while your whole family was partying downstairs. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're downstairs right now. Oh. This is a second fl- this is a second floor sleeping porch. But, okay. Uh, so like in the It's in not the, gonna be quite as loud, I don't think. In the tape we'll hear like What's the difference between a sleeping porch and a bedroom? You can't call uh, it a well, bedroom because there's no closet and then you don't get taxed on it. That's the difference. Oh, all right. <laughs> that was it. Well, this one's like, it's got three, on three sides, it's just windows and you're up like 20 feet in the air. Yeah. So it's like oh. you're in the trees. Yes. Oh. And if you don't call it a bedroom, you don't pay the taxes on that room. Just FYI. That's kind of what it's about. I think legally, if it doesn't have a shelf, if yeah. you put a shelf in it, then it's a room. You can't put a closet in it. The closet is what de- designates. Uh-huh. Don't you watch HGTV when I'm watching it? No, I I know this because we have this issue with our place too up at the lake, and and it's called it a there's a loft, and that doesn't count as a bedroom, even though there's like two twin beds up there. That's right, and don't yeah. call it that because your taxes will go up. All right, should we go ahead and record a podcast and review some stuff? Yes. All right, let's get it done. Leading off. I mean, I got plenty of stories that, like, sitting around, like, shooting the shit with people. Like, I'll, I'll lay out there things that I experienced. I don't think that that's never been in my repertoire of, like, stories that you share about, hey, well, here's a crazy fucking thing that happened to me. Years before becoming an investigative journalist, David Holthouse worked on a secluded illegal marijuana farm in California's Emerald Triangle. He recalled one night when a group of harvesters reported a deadly encounter in the woods. He believed... He had just seen three bodies, dead, mangled, torn to pieces. He started to say something loud and was shushed. And then he said, I'm telling you, man, a Bigfoot killed those guys. Holthouse returns to the lawless pot farms to investigate what really happened in 1993. Did the killings really happen? Who were the victims? Was a Sasquatch responsible for the attack, or was it one of the ruthless marijuana growers emboldened to use violence to protect their operation? I feel like all the Sasquatch stories I ever heard emanates from that traumatic feeling of like, I might not belong here and something is going to take me out. Hulu's three-part Sasquatch bills itself as a true crime series. It follows Holthouse, who serves as his own unreliable narrator, hunting a monster who may be human or who may be supernatural for a crime that may have happened or may have been the creation of stoned migrant workers. The series also explores topics like crime in the Emerald Triangle, the war on drugs, racism, and of course, the legend of Bigfoot. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points for Sasquatch, so if you want to remain Spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Kevin Flynn, the only person who could play David Holthouse in the fictionalized version of this is Joaquin Phoenix, yes or no? Uh, probably. <laughs> I don't know, he had some looks of, of uh, some other, I thought like uh, perhaps Meatloaf. Yes. I was thinking Harvey Keitel. Oh, yeah. God, I guess there are more options than I thought. I just thought like dead ringer for, uh, you know, a walkie Phoenix. But anyway, let's just talk about the setup for this, because, Kevin, the setup is three dead people. Was it Bigfoot? Thoughts? Yeah, it's probably not Bigfoot. <laughs> Why not? Just, well, where to start? Look, I, OK, so I think probably it's one of the most ridiculous setups we have ever, 
for a, a true crime story we've we've ever had. Gives it a good title there's, though, does it not? Good title, but and there's a lot about it that you know actually they did a good job in some parts of this. But as far as like, hey, you know, let's investigate whether or not Sasquatch was the killer of these three bodies that actually nobody's ever seen or reported missing. But you know, maybe this is what really happened. Let's go back and bring a TV crew. It's kind of like, uh. Good luck with this one, guys. Hmm. Glad I'm not the editor. Lara, your first note on this uh, notes that you sent me for this show are, quote, you think you know what this is supposed to be about, but then you don't. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, going in, like we have this premise that we were just talking about, like, oh, Sasquatch. And we have these fun little, you know, drawings and animations of, you know, this story out in the house. And you're like, oh, this is really interesting. And you have the Sasquatch hunters. Usually before you see them, if the wind is blowing right, you get they have a very sweet, musky smell. That could be when she's in that time of her moon cycle and when she's really uh, looking for love. And then basically we have a different version of that show that we watched like, I don't know, it seems like a few years ago now, The Murder Mountain documentary. Mm -hmm. So we're basically telling that same story. So, um, But I was really into the Sasquatch stuff and I was like rooting for the Sasquatch angle because- Me too. (laughs) I love the Sasquatch hunters. I can talk more about them, but like I just felt like, oh, this is so interesting. And then I'm like, wait, I feel like we've already seen this show. Yeah. So Toby, I know that you know that I don't really think it was Bigfoot, even though I am completely fascinated by the lore of Bigfoot. I kind of thought that the Sasquatch angle was going to be more important, like because maybe there would be some exploration like the kind you like to do in the stories you do in podcasts about belief and about how belief can influence action and how belief can become a culture. But they didn't really use it that way. What do you think the point of the Sasquatch setup was here, Toby? Unclear. Mm. Um, although I think the the thing was, is that that was why it was interesting to to David Holthouse is that he remembered it that way. And, and that was why he went back to investigate it, I guess. that That's the only thing that made sense to me. When this started, I was thinking about, do you remember Midnight Sun? Yes. That yeah. that podcast, yes. which had a mm-hmm. which had a kind of a similar setup where it was sort of running across these mythical beasts. Whereas that one, I've kind of felt like sort of as Kevin would say, stuck the landing yeah. with that opening. Like that, that really did ask some interesting questions. In this one, it basically seems like kind of a marketing ploy. Yeah, and then you know, ostensibly the reason why this guy went back. To look into it is because like, huh, you know, did a Sasquatch really do it? Uh, other than that, I don't really know. I think if they just said three migrant workers killed in, what is it, uh, something Rock Road? Spy Rock, wasn't it? Spy Rock Road, right. I, I don't think that would have like gotten the eyeballs as much as Sasquatch. It's true. It is a very good title and it makes probably made some very, very good swag bags when they send it out for reviewers and so forth. Kevin, there was some... Sasquatch stuff in here, which to me was like the strongest part of the series. They got one of the guys who made the most famous Bigfoot film of all time, Bob Gimlin. Mm -hmm. If you've ever seen the one film that uh, allegedly contains Bigfoot where he's sort of lumbering through the woods, we have that guy. Roger got his camera out. You see her make that famous turn like that to look at me when I got off the horse. 
when I saw her, I thought, oh my God, these things really do exist. I really liked that part only because, again, not because to me it proved the existence of Bigfoot, which as much as I want to believe in Bigfoot, I know it's probably not real, but because it did explore the lore, right? Yeah, I actually thought that was one of the things that they did kind of well. They sat down with a lot of people sort of around the lore, whether it's, you know, the guys who did the films or I really liked uh, those two guys who were almost like a Bigfoot couple. Yeah. The one who, like, yells Those guys are awesome. Well, you believe that Sasquatch can teleport. And, no. Uh, yes, you do. No, yes, I do not. Do. You do. Do not go there. And you believe that he, no. can, he can cloak and all that other fucking bullshit. No, I do not. Yes, God you do. It. We've the talked only about thing, this before. And you get it wrong. No. The I only think, thing I, I believe. He's, he's just a being. He's a blood and guts human being kind of creature. That could be a whole series just on those two guys. That's what yes. it should have been. Yes. It could be a whole podcast yeah. or a whole series just on those people. Yeah. So that part of it was pretty good. And then they also, I mean, they touched on a couple of different things here, right? They also touched on the sidebar of, you know, what's going on in the Emerald Triangle and the sort of lawless land of, uh, you know, pot farmers and stuff going on from, hey, you know, the back to earthers and they were growing pot, all that other, you know, those things were all kind of interesting. I think it kind of gets a little muddled here when we get back to David himself. Yes. And his investigation. What is he doing? What is he, who is he investigating for? What is, you mean you don't know? What is the product? Yeah, what is the product supposed to be? Is, is the product this documentary? Is he actually writing an article? It's very unclear, right? Yeah, it's. I think, you know, the true crime part of it is supposed to be we're following along his investigation as he's talking to people and uncovering facts. And a lot of it seems to be him talking on the phone with people. And that's cool because, you know, that's a, a way certainly a lot of magazine writers will do it. But we, we we hear right off the top that some of the telephone conversations have been recreated. Yeah. Some of them, most of them, all of them. It just seems very performative. And that a lot of this just seems to be him talking to potentially voice actors, reenacting stuff that he's already done. And so there's really no surprise. Or people in there. his car who are all blurred out, right? Those seem, uh, but those seem legit, though. Yeah, they were legit. But those what seem, was like, the, extemporaneous. But what one. was the purpose of them? That was my question. It was to make it seem more suspenseful that everybody that he's talking to is having their voice garbled and disguised. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like parboiled. So, Laura, let's talk about the quote, investigative journalist side of this. I know who David Holthouse is. I know that he actually is a writer. I know that he's done investigative journalism. I just found myself thinking, like, what is he doing here? Is this movie the thing that he's doing? Because the way that it's kind of pitched to us is that he's investigating it for something else, and we are riding along with him. But he doesn't ever produce anything in the show. He doesn't ever write anything. And all he's doing is talking to the camera about sort of speculative stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, it was basically like a made-for-TV investigation, like what Kevin was talking about before with everything being very performative. It was like we're following him around. We're seeing these people that he's meeting with and these people that he's talking to. My sense was that he was just doing that for this documentary, for this show, that he was not actually writing something about this, but that he was out. But I found like... At one point, I was kind of thinking of it's kind of interesting, like the parallels between him going out there as this investigative journalist. And, and like, do you guys remember when the Sasquatch killed those guys? And then you've got the Sasquatch hunters and their investigations. And I'm at one point, I was like, whose investigation is going to be more fruitful at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Bobos, hmm. uh, Ghost Dance, or <laughs> David Holthouse? I don't know. So, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it was it, it was hard because I felt like there was some parts of this that were really strong, but I feel like it didn't know what it wanted to be. Like I would like a whole show on these Sasquatch hunters. Yeah. Um, I want to go hang out with Ghost Dance. I find him very interesting. But then you had these really emotional moments where you have the niece of one of the victims. And I don't recall if it was one of the victims of the Sasquatch. Dif- different victim. It was a different, different victim. Yeah. Same, yeah. same road. Five yeah. Point Road. Same road. She was a good voice to have on there, but that didn't really match for me the vibe of the rest of the show, if that makes sense. No, I completely agree with you because, Toby, one of the things that I found myself asking was, what do these murders even happen? There are no bodies. This whole thing is based on David's recollection of a conversation he had decades ago. And he's chasing something, not an unsolved case that police haven't been able to like nail, not something where there's a missing person poster up, like find this person. He's chasing something that he remembers a certain way. And that just strikes me as like an odd and not very concrete thing to like hang your journalism hat on. Does that make sense to you, Toby? Yeah. I mean, I I think, I mean, there's just like, there's like nothing official, right? Like it seems like everything's like rumors and people heard this, people heard that, you know, people don't want to talk about this. So there's not, it just seems like the truth is really hard to find. And he's kind of starting with a somewhat remembered conversation that he overheard between two meth heads and some guy who he thinks is super scary and doesn't want to name. (laughs) And that happened like 20 years ago. And then he shows up and people are just like, oh yeah, that guy, you know, they raped Bigfoot, whatever his name is. Bigfoot Gary. Gary, They raped his daughter. And then he calls Bigfoot Gary. Oh, I wasn't around there. Was I wife? And she's like, no, man, you're on the He doesn't have a daughter. Which by (laughs) the way, that the raping of the daughter is the most racist trope ever for like getting the whole thing is, (laughs) but then like when they, you know, when he tells it, it's like, oh, okay. So, like, to me, what, what would be kind of interesting would be, like, how do you ever find out anything about what's going on there? Like, what 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 does truth really mean up on that mountain? Yeah. Because, you know, nobody's really going to tell you it. You know, it almost doesn't even matter right. if, if people were actually killed, because what he's actually finding out is sort of the social system up there and, and how how information gets around. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we get halfway through the second episode before he reveals that the person who found the bodies was a meth tweaker. Ruthless and toothless. Ruthless and toothless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't want to like be like uh, derisive toward people with substance use issues, but as slogans go... It's a pretty good one, I think. Mm-hmm. When it rhymes, yeah, it's always <laughs> it's always catchy. But I can't believe that nobody just turned to him and said, "Dude, you you mean the thing that Larry said mm. that night? That crazy thing about Bigfoot? You know he was doing hard drugs, right? And that was almost thirty years ago, and you somehow got financing." For a documentary, man? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Good for him, though, right? Yeah, yeah some ways. good for him. But even towards the end, he's saying, oh, all these dead ends, getting frustrating. Yeah, it's getting frustrating. As viewers, we're frustrated, too. Hmm. We don't know which way to turn. None of, none of this goes anywhere. Right. 
You know, when they said, oh, there was a guy and his name was Bigfoot Gary, I was like, oh, Ooh, fuck. a twist. Wait a yeah. second. Maybe this impossible thing gets all pulled together. No, but that didn't go anywhere either. Yeah, because so. his wife sounded totally innocuous on the phone. I would have lost my mind if the whole thing was he heard Bigfoot and he thought Sasquatch. And that mm. was what he remembered 20 years later. But that's and what he back. says. That's what he says. He says, mm. maybe I just heard Bigfoot Gary. And in my head, it turned into Sasquatch. It, it would have been... That just, oh God, that would have been horrendous. But that's the whole thing. Toby, like, there's there are no bodies. This isn't a crime we even know happened. And I found myself thinking, like, I wanted it to be Bigfoot by the end of this I, thing. Me too. Because I Rebecca. didn't understand what the fuck was going on. Toby, did you have any feeling at all that, like, you kind of wished at the end they would find, like, a big footprint or something so that there would at least be some reason why this thing was set up that way? Well, if they had, I would have just figured they they had totally, you know, staged it. So <laughs> in some ways, I'm glad. The thing about the ending for this is that, to me, it was the exact same solution as every single Scooby-Doo episode ever, yep. yeah. which is they made up a monster to try and scare away the people they didn't want around. So it's just basically like the minor 49er or whoever. And that that's like supposedly the solution. Mm. I, it was it boggles the mind. Yeah. Is that why the animation that they used uh, mm-hmm. was like a very Scooby Doo thing? It was yeah, Scooby Doo. I love yeah. the animation. I was hoping you'd be like Rot Row. <laughs> you were a little, you were a little disappointed <laughs> that it wasn't Sasquatch, right? Well, no. In the end, I was amazed that I was <laughs> disappointed. Disappointed. <laughs> the end I was like, well, like it was the only thing that could possibly save us. Yeah. Was that it actually was Sasquatch? And then yeah. I'm like, huh. I guess Sasquatch really wasn't the killer. Guess not. <laughs> God damn All it. right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Sasquatch and Hulu? It's a three-part series about three perhaps unsolved, perhaps murders framed around whether or not Sasquatch actually committed this crime. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Sasquatch on Hulu? Well, I want to give this a thumbs down, but I'm going to go with a th- thumbs sideways. And that's because this show actually was something that my teenage son, who doesn't even want to be in the same room with me at this point in his teenage life, actually wanted to watch with me. Hmm. So for that in itself, I give it a thumb sideways. Also, I really enjoyed the Bigfoot people. Bobo, Ghost Dance. I mean, (laughs) I was really into the Sasquatch Hunters, and I thought they were very interesting. Overall, very dissatisfying ending. But it was something that Will and I bonded over, and we watched this together. And he was like, Mom, I think this is a comedy. It's really stupid. But he actually had a discussion instead of grunting at me. So thumbs sideways. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Sasquatch? My recommendation is for people to watch the first episode and then just stop. Mm. (laughs) Because after the first episode, I was like, this has got some potential. And then it just kind of went downhill afterwards. You know, in some ways, I feel feel badly because I think some of the stuff that was interesting, as Laura was saying, it's already been covered in Murder Mountain. Yeah. And Murder Mountain was so good. Yeah. Murder Mountain was awesome. So if Murder Mountain didn't exist... I might watch this and be like, well, there's some interesting stuff about the culture and all that, and that kind of redeemed it. But because Murder Mountain does exist and is a lot better, yeah, I give it a thumbs down. I mean, it wasn't horrible, horrible, but it just, it's not great. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going thumbs down. I thought, yeah, like the first 20 minutes, it was it was interesting. I was, I was, more, I was surprised at how well it was set up. 
but you know, I we're spoiler free, and I don't want to spoil who the killer is because maybe it's Bigfoot. Oh God! Wait, I but wish you wish. Yeah, look, I mean, some of, some of the things were done pretty well. I thought that it was better than it ought to be for a series called Sasquatch. But in the in the end, you know, a journalist can interview a subject who is an unreliable narrator. The journalist can't be his own unreliable narrator. And yeah. that's kind of where this goes off the rails, that uh, in the end, there is no there there. And the there could have been... A Sasquatch. So I'm, I'm a thumbs down. Kevin, I completely agree with you. Um, I I really wanted this to be better. But there is one magical thing that would have made it better. If instead of David Holthouse being our guide, if he was the main character in the documentary and someone else was the documentarian and the documentary was about David Holthouse pursuing mm-hmm. this story, but not from David Holthouse's perspective, but from a, like, objective filmmaker's perspective. Because he's fucking interesting. He just yes. is. He's an yeah. interesting guy. Very likable guy. Um, I like, forget who the documentarian is attached to this, but it's somebody... Right, but they're... It's, it's the somebody Duplass legit. brothers. Yeah, oh, yeah, but it's an unknown presence in the film. Yeah, right, right. And they, and they don't make it about him. They make him our main, like, subject. And... It should be just meta. Like, I would have gone one step back at a layer between us and David to sort of show him the full picture of him and to show that he's on this relentless, fruitless, ultimately, quest for something that may or may not have happened. Like, there's a lot that's interesting there. It was just put together wrong. So for that reason, I have to give Sasquatch, as much as I hate to do it, because it's the best name of anything we've ever reviewed, got to give the thing a thumbs down. Sorry, Sasquatch. Whatever job you need to do out there, Grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess. So IKEA makes storage affordable. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. What do we got going on on our Patreon right now, Kevin? Well, we have a new Crime Writers on After show. We do? Yeah, we're going to be talking about Rebecca's favorite serial killer. So embarrassing, but it's true. And the fact that you have a favorite serial I know. killer. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Guess what? What? It's John Wayne Gacy, who we're about to talk about. Oh, right. And I'm going to talk to you guys about why and how embarrassing it is for me. And then I'm also going to ask you guys 
do you have a favorite serial killer? I know Toby does, 100%. So I guess we're doing my favorite murder <laughs> in the after show. Uh, we have a new episode coming out of Married with Podcast. We have a question from a listener who has a coworker who wears too much makeup. I cannot yes. wait to answer that question. Toby, that sounds like something you've dealt with. You just sighed. Do you have a coworker who wears too much makeup? No, I'm just thinking about how insanely frustrating it would be if I did have a coworker with too much makeup. Mm. Yeah. I had a colleague with too much make, perfume. Get out of bed hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Toby also has a uh, new episode coming out of The Deep Dive. Uh, they're talking about Hidden Valley Road, the book by Bob Kolker. And I know they just recorded. And Toby, you said it was one of your best uh, one of your best episodes, right? Yeah, I think it was really good. I, we had more guests than normal, but there was great chemistry. People came from like very sort of different observations, different viewpoints. Uh, it was just it was a super interesting conversation. The book... Uh, for people who don't know, is about uh, a family that had 12 children, six of whom were schizophrenic. Hmm. And it's really just hard to wrap your head around like how tragic that is. But the book is super interesting. It's by Bob Kolker, who's awesome. And so it was uh, Rabia Chaudhry, Nanita Cranford, Keith Sharon, and uh, Dr. Scott from LA Not So Confidential, who is himself a mental health professional uh, and gave a lot of really good and interesting insight into into the book and some of the issues it brings up. Can I just give a shout out to my friend, Rabia? You are all very busy people who took the time to read this book and then record a podcast about it. Mm. But Rabia is finishing writing a book right now. She's yeah. like in the she's like writing her book. She's like thinking about her next book. She's uh, celebrating Ramadan, so she's yeah. like fasting. She's like so busy, and yet she read this book and then showed up to tape our Patreon book club podcast. Rabia, if you're listening to this right now, I don't know how you do it. I really admire you, and uh, that's all I got to say about that. Hey, you know, we're asking you now to sign up for free for our newsletter at CrimeWritersOn.com. Do it. Comes out every Monday. We've got all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff and things that you might have missed. Tell you what's coming up in the next podcast. You get to see our cat of the week. See if they look uh, like you think that they did. Mm. And uh, some other neat stuff. Uh, all you got to do is go to CrimeWritersOn.com. All we want is your email address, and we're not going to do anything more with it. Than yeah, just we're not going to sell it to Target or something like that. No. Toby, do you read the newsletter yet? Do you read the newsletter? Of course. It's so good. It's, it's really a, good. It's awesome. I was here for the taping, and yet I still enjoy reading the newsletter to like see how you have interpreted the taping, Kevin. It's it's my favorite thing to read on the churlet. Uh, <laughs> it's satisfying. All right. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Andrea Fox and Jennifer Jackson. Bless you. And thus ends the business, the business section. section. Moving on. Investigators know there are bodies or parts of bodies still to be dug out of this muddy crawl space. The police have been answering hundreds of telephone calls from the families of missing teenage boys all over the country. Before the murders, Gacy was well-respected in his community. He was the most prolific serial killer in the United States. John Wayne Gacy, who worked as a Chicago political operative and, most disturbingly, as a children's clown, murdered at least 33 teens and buried them in the crawl space beneath his Des Plaines house. In light of all that has been used against me mm-hmm. in the media, they've, they've created this fantasy monster image and it's been going on for the last 12 years and I've ever 
had no comment and I had no uh, need to talk to the media for the simple reason that they were looking for sensationalism and they were looking for the monster. Even after his 1978 arrest and 1992 execution, Gacy continues to fascinate police, journalists, and armchair detectives. Did the frequent traveler murder elsewhere? Did he have accomplices? And are today's investigators blocking efforts to locate and identify other victims? You also start to say, okay, who else knew about this? Did the guy do anything before? Is there a police record? Is there something we can find out? In John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise from Peacock, we hear from the killer himself in an extensive video interview conducted before his execution. The six-part series meticulously chronicles Gacy's life and crimes, then goes further to explore lingering questions about the murder spree of the man known as the Killer Clown. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points for John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. So to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Kevin, um, Mm -hmm. we were watching the first couple episodes of this, and I kept turning to you and saying, like, this is classic true crime in every way. Like, it hits all the boxes. And it's, like, meticulous, right? Yeah, absolutely. I certainly think... The first four episodes, I guess, just sort of chronologically. The first three are just the tight, the case. Yeah, Everything getting up to his execution, I thought was a great chronicling of his life and his crimes. And look, I, I'm not someone who has a you know favorite serial killer. I'm not a serial killer fan. I know the people who are. Fan. That's just not my no thing. No one's a fan of serial killers. No. We're fascinated I by I think killers. that maybe you need to listen to other kinds of true crime podcasts yeah. and you'll find out, yeah, that people are... You know, let me tell you about my favorite serial killer. And they do that. And that's just not me. But I thought I learned an awful lot about this killer and his crimes. And it was terribly interesting to watch him talk to essentially an FBI profiler, but an interviewer and sort of talk about his life. And even though, you know, he's full of shit when he says, well, I don't know how those bodies got under my basement. Except that I put them there. Except that I put them there. He goes back and forth. I keep waking up and there's dead bodies in the house. Look, I still thought it was terribly fascinating. To my understanding, there was a total of 29 bodies or 28 bodies Mm -hmm. were found on the property. 26, 27 of them under the house. And the rest? One was under the driveway, one was under the garage. But I thought that that was all done very well. They got all, you know, even though it was 40 plus years ago, they got a lot of important people, the cops, the prosecutors who were involved in the case, and their perspectives are really interesting. Family members of the victims. Yes. They got a lot of family members of the victims. I mean, it definitely wasn't a Gacy. I mean, it was Gacy-centric, but it really balanced, I think, the impact of Gacy's crimes in a way that, like this, I mean, when I say it was classic true crime, Laura, what I mean is... Like, there are tons of documentaries like this, which just tell you what happened, right? This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and there's old footage or whatever. But the amount of footage, photographs, interviews with Gacy, they have Gacy's longtime pen pal who ends up being this gateway into, like, seeing Gacy up close and personal in prison and, like, hearing his specific take. Not just for somebody who, like, is fascinated by serial killers, but, like, it's just, it's, like, well done and it's it's classic true crime. What do you think about the Gacy case and, and that part of this, Laura? 
Yeah, I think this was actually pretty riveting. And um, I say I shouldn't say this anymore. Like Ken actually watched it, but I was like watching it on my laptop, and Ken who, was like, "Oh, this is really interesting." And and he, you know, usually if it's something murder related, he's like, "Oh my gosh!" But I think what was interesting was we had the footage of Gacy, which was just, I mean, that really was compelling because you're just listening to him. And then you have all the right people there. I don't know. It's just the way that it was told just moved it along and kept your interest. And I didn't know that much about this case. So I learned a lot. But it was like, even, you know, the detectives who were talking about their trailing him and how he's like, oh, you want to like have coffee tomorrow morning or you guys want to come in and warm up and use the bathroom or whatever. Uh, (laughs) It was just fascinating. But I think it was him as a character and having that footage and having that interview. I I don't know why. All I could think of was like Boss Hogg and the Dukes of Hazzard every time he started talking. He just he looks like him to me. Oh, my God. And he was 37 when he's arrested. He looks like he's 70 fucking years old. Yeah. It's incredible. (laughs) It's incredible. But I, I can we talk about him? Because like one of the things about him is just he's so different. I think that's what it is than so many of the serial killers where they, they are antisocial and they're not personable. And the way that he like, you know, he's in prison for a what, a year and you know, not very long on that original sex charge. Yeah. Um yeah. and he gets them a freaking mini golf course. Yes. That's like my favorite part. I was like, <laughs> and he's like running the place, but he's, he's like, like Andy Dufresne and the Shawshank Redemption in his prison. Like he's running the place. He's the head cook. He's in the Christmas choir. He got them a golf course. You could see why he'd be let out and everyone would think it was fine, even mm-hmm. though he committed this horrible uh, sex crime. His ability to lie in the moment, like it makes you believe that if you met him at a bar in an airport, he'd be fine. And he'd be like, oh, I met yeah. this interesting guy in a bar in an airport who like randomly had 33 dead bodies in his basement. Yeah. He says he didn't do it. I mean, he doesn't seem like he did. And then like in the next minute, of course, he's like, show me this neat trick with handcuffs. Exactly. Exactly. So Toby, I know this isn't necessarily your kind of thing. I'm just going to say that up front because I know you. I've been doing this podcast with you for six years, but I do want to get your take on a character in this, which is Craig, who is the Gacy I love how they call him the John Wayne Gacy correspondent, as if like that's his full time job as a reporter. Now he's <laughs> a right. literal correspondent. We now go with Gacy correspondent Craig Bowley at the scene. <laughs> Craig, what can you tell us about Gacy? So just to talk about him as a character for a little bit, because he obviously had fascinations of his own. He started corresponding. He seems to see Gacy for who he is, full of shit. Yet he develops this really close relationship with him. What do you think of him just as a character in the world? Yeah, I. I wish maybe they talked to him a little bit more about his own sort of interest in it and like how, why he was that way and that he clearly has time on his hands. And why would you spend it getting to know a serial killer instead of your neighbors uh, you know, doing something constructive <laughs> or whatever? I, I, I don't get it. You know, there's a lot of people who are fascinated with serial killers. He clearly is one of them. I clearly am not. So it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around why that would be something that he would find important to do. John finally responded to one of my letters. And from there, we started corresponding and talking on the phone. I thought I was going to do either a book or, you know, a short film. But my interest was more on a personal level. I wanted to ask him why. He's not advocating for his innocence 
or that he there should be mercy for him. I mean, he seems like he's pretty clear-eyed about the fact that he's just going to lie all the time. And he did these horrible things. And yet, you know, I guess he finds something redeeming in him or something uh, satisfying in having a relationship with him. I mean, he, he talks about hugging him right before he's executed and like feeling grateful that Gacy felt at that moment as though he had to comfort him, which, you know, I... Gacy didn't feel know. that in that moment. No fucking I, I way. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was like a last little bit of manipulation that you know who who could figure out what Gacy got out of it, but it was clearly something. Well, like talk about the like the type, the serial killer type. Mm-hmm. Gacy, you know, I, as you know, I'm like a huge fan of like profiling as a crime solving tool. But in terms of just like the traits of a serial killer, there are some interesting things Understanding there. Understanding the killer, Gacy ticks every fucking box he is uh dynamic he has a type he does all the things that like you know a serial killer does like he's you know got you know a pattern like all that stuff but the interviews with him i just find i don't know i think they're incredible even though like in the moment you know he's lying you don't for a second watching them think Oh, yeah, well, maybe it happened that way, right? I mean, I just find those interviews to be astonishing. Yeah, absolutely, Rebecca. And the way that he's like, well, let me go. Like, he's got everything organized. He goes, let me go to, like, page, like, 500. Or, like, he knows all. Oh, yeah. Oh, in this interview. Like, it's like he's having a conversation like an attorney while he's sitting there with the profiler. Like, he knows all the information in the case. And the way that he's able to rationalize everything when they ask him about it I think that's the part that sticks with you when you talk about like the lying like it just like rolls off his tongue in such a natural way that it's like does he even know the truth anymore but it's just he's just so he's just such a good liar and and especially the times when they're talking about like how did the bodies end up there and he's just like uh, I don't know, like, you know, somebody must have known that, you know, or, and it's just the way that he explains it away over and over again is astounding. My favorite moment was when he said, um, it wasn't my favorite, but like one of the most amazing moments was when he said, you know, his employee killed somebody. Mm-hmm. So I just woke up in the morning and there was a dead body there. And so that must be how it got in the basement. And then I just went on my work day because I was very busy. Yeah, yeah I didn't want to get involved. <laughs> I didn't have time for this. Kevin, what did you think of the interviews? Well, like I said before, I thought that they were really compelling and uh, terribly fascinating because we don't often get to hear from a figure like that who will talk, you know, on the record. They're very rarely forthcoming about what they did and all this stuff where he's kind of, I don't know, he he did a little in this interview, but according to other folks, he often intimated that there might be other people around there might have been accomplices, and he never really sent people on a like a a true path on that. He and, was like Ray in the Improvement Association. Time will tell, Kevin. Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell. Yeah, because it's easier to kind of let people think that as opposed to. I mean, if you had an accomplice and you're on death row, you don't play it halfway. You're either gonna give them up. Or you're just like going to take it to the grave. You're not going to say, yeah, well, I don't know, maybe there was somebody else. Or, yeah. You know. So then the fact that then people start going on this idea about, well, who else could have helped him out? Now it actually is possible that you know some of those folks did some of the things like you know dug trenches and maybe they should have known. But as far as was he part of a two-person serial killer team? No. I mean, I think that he was that, not. 
yeah, it, it was not. It didn't. It doesn't seem to be any evidence of that. And so, kind of like the Sasquatch interview, there's some stuff there where it's like, well, you know, are we going to be disappointed as viewers being subjected to uh, an investigative path that doesn't really bear fruit? Toby, I've got a couple quick questions for you. One is, were you surprised to learn about Gacy's political connections and see the photograph of him with Rosalind Carter and realize that he was like a known guy in Chicago politics? Did you know that before, Toby? I didn't. I mean, the the picture of him with Rosalind Carter is that to me was like almost the most startling thing in the entire. I guess the two biggest startling things are that and then the fact that he hardly talked about the clowning around at clowning. all. Clowning. Oh, my God. Has any word ever been creepier than the word clowning, as said yeah. by John Wayne Gacy? Mm. The clowning was relaxation for me. I enjoyed entertaining kids. Like some people are, uh, they unwind in different ways, either, either we're going out drinking or that. I could put on clown makeup and I was relaxed. And I enjoyed doing it. He wasn't even a good clown. Look at, like, the makeup was so fucking horrendous. I was like, what kind of clown makeup is this? He did it for fun. All right, Toby. So my second question for you is about the cops, because I'm going to talk about this in the after show, but there's a, a really, really my entree in a true crime was this television movie called To Catch a Killer, which is about this case, which is a movie, but is almost like a documentary because it's so accurate. But what happened was the cops knew that John Wayne Gacy had killed all these people. They knew. They just couldn't prove it. And then the road to trying to prove it, they decide to shadow him constantly. And basically that shadowing ends up kind of unraveling him. And these cops who are on his tail at one point decide, you know what? He wants to buy us a beer. Let's let him buy us a beer. Let's go to burgers with him. And he saw us walk in. We sat at a table, maybe three tables away from Gacy. And... A short time later, the waitress approaches us with two beers and says, these beers on the gentleman over there, pointing to Gacy. About halfway through our beer, we sent Gacy a beer. What did you think about that? I mean, that wasn't on purpose in the moment. <laughs> but what did you think about those cops who just made that choice, Toby? It seems problematic to me, although I'm not sure I can really explain why. I, I feel like a good defense attorney would be able to use that to sort of impeach their testimony or whatever. But um, I don't know. I just, it, it seems fraught, right? It seems like you're setting yourself up to be manipulated. It seems like you're setting yourself up for maybe not having things go by the book so that it gets tossed out in court. I It just seems like, you know, I, I guess it ended up pretty well because the guy goes to the bathroom and then gets the stench. And that's what kind of leads into that but that, that couldn't have been part of the strategy i think that was sort of a happy coincidence so happy? i don't know you think that was a happy coincidence well for whom <laughs> happy for the I, cops well i i say happy coincidence in the in the generic term which is they got something out of it that they weren't expecting yeah but i don't know i would have been uncomfortable with it if i was their boss I oh been like, yeah yeah yeah. Don't, f don't freaking go out to dinner with him again. It like, was the 70s, though, you know? Luck. Everything mm -hmm. went. I mean, it's funny. Laura, you sent me a note that was something that I kept saying over and over again, which is that, like, we have one dead mouse in our house. Like, and for a week, I'm like, find yeah. that dead mouse. Get rid of that <laughs> dead mouse. It's horrendous. It's unbelievable, the idea that, like, all those bodies were there and that when the heat would kick on, it was yeah. just like, yeah, unbelievable. Well, and it, that the ex-wife, she was also talking about the smell. And she was like on him about like, why does it smell? And he had all these excuses. And um, 
it, it was just, I think, a sign of Gacy's arrogance that he was manipulating the situation. He was running the situation. He thought he was doing such a good job that it didn't even register that that stench in his house was going to be an issue when he invited them in because he was just convinced that he was like the mastermind. The day that I walked out of that house, he said, one day you're going to read about me on the front pages of the newspapers. Even being married to him, there was a lot that I didn't know. Kevin, what would you think of the cozy relationship the cops pretended to have with Casey as they were tailing him? Well, look, the cops had been made. Right. I mean, their cover's already been blown. He knows that they're following them. If he's the one who says, come on in, you know, come over to my table, let's go get breakfast, then he's putting himself at risk, you know, uh, legally. I, I don't blame the cops for that. Certainly he wasn't Mirandized. He wasn't under arrest. They were surveilling him. And you're going to say, well, let's sit down and have coffee. Maybe he'll say something incriminating. Then. Yeah, I would absolutely take advantage of that. I, You know, I think that Toby thinks that maybe the, the cops' bosses would be concerned. I would think that Gacy's attorney would be incredibly concerned Except about that. I just, I, I guess the only thing I would say is, like, I, I was thinking about making a murderer. You know, I, I don't think they could have known there were 33 bodies underneath his house. But they would have been like, okay, so these cops are like walking around his house and nobody's paying attention to what they're doing. You know, he's cooking dinner. There's one cop here. There's one cop there. You know, how do we know there's nothing nefarious going on? Like, that's the kind of thing. Those cops planted those 30-something well, bodies. Well, I think right, that but if But if they didn't realize there were all those bodies under there yeah. and there was just like they found like somebody's class ring, you know? And it's just like, well, how do you know the – they would just be like, how, how do we know the cop didn't plant it there? He was right. unsupervised. He was in the house. He shouldn't have been in the house. Yeah, but I think well, Toby yeah, – shouldn't have been in the house. He was invited into the house. Yeah. but you I, know? So I'm just going to say that – if you're going to fault anybody, you got to fault Gacy. Gacy had hubris. Yeah. He invited them in. But he was insane, too. Imagine how <laughs> depraved you have to be as a client for an attorney when your attorney tells the cops, make sure you keep following him. You have to catch him. Shoot like, his tires yeah. out. Yeah. Like, it's bad. Like, imagine how bad that, you know, it's, it's like how depraved you have to be. Now, Laura, but before we move on to a couple other quick plot points, what do you think of the fact that we have Gacy's sister in this documentary? I think she was a great voice because a lot of times when we have family members, um, either they're defensive or they're just too upset to talk. And she was really good because, you know, not only was she like fully acknowledging just the horror of what he had done, but she also gave that historical context, you know, of what he was like as a kid and growing up. But then she also, what I liked, you know, was listening to her sort of go through the process of what it was like to find out what was happening and putting the pieces together as she was learning information as they were digging under his house. And as when he called her from the prison before and, and she was like, he was like having a grand old time up there. Like he was like, run, I can't remember what she said, but she had this great expression for like, you know, like he was like at the country club or something when he called yeah. her. I thought she was a great voice because, you know, we all know in the true crime world, it's hard to get family members that are willing to be self-reflective. And obviously a lot of time has passed. And, you know, I think that that factored in. But, I, you know, I thought that she gave a good window into another side of the case. Yeah. What do you think that we have a, and a couple of escaped Gacy potential victims that we hear about in the documentary, Lara? That was, oh my gosh, the guy who was like the high school wrestler who yeah. managed to like get out of the handcuffs because one wasn't on his tight and he flipped him over and did his wrestling move and Gacy's like, oh, 
you're the only one who's ever done that before. Like he was kind of impressed, but so we had him. And then we also had the poor guy who they didn't want to testify. And I felt so bad for him because it's like, you know, the fact that he had gotten to that point, you know, he needed to do that. And was that the the one guy who had like acid on his face or something from Gacy? Yeah. Yeah, that is chloroform burns. Chloroform, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I th- can you imagine having escaped from him? I mean, when you look at the number of bodies under that house and to be one of the ones that escaped, I mean, my God, that took some maneuvering, to put it mildly. It seems like he just killed everyone. Like, he yeah. wasn't smart in, like, I mean, he was smart because he got away with it for a really long time, but he wasn't smart in that, like... He didn't vary the routine. Like, if you were young and you came to work for him, good chances, there's a good chance you're going to get killed. Like, you know, it was very easy to put the pattern together once you saw that picture. Um, now, Kevin, I, I don't want to, like, um, linger too long on this. I think most of the meat of the documentary is in the, in the initial episodes. Mm-hmm. But then because this is a six-episode thing, they get into some other areas. They talk about, you know, potential collaborators, colluders. I think we've already addressed that. But one of the things they talk about is the uh, some of the victims being unidentified, the potential for more victims, which I think is a very interesting angle because even the sheriff thinks – there are probably more victims. Right. But there is this whole other storyline about a mother whose son was misidentified as a Gacy victim, potentially. What did you think of that turn in the documentary? You know, I didn't know what to quite make of that story. Because the, the way it was presented, it seemed like the two sides, and one side being the, uh, I guess, the attorney for the family, and the other side being the current sheriff. John Slattery? John Slattery. Lookalike? He's got some hair. Yeah. Yeah, He's got sure. some Erica Boisean hair. Uh, yeah, so it seemed like what they were talking about two different cases, right? Mm-hmm. It just seemed like they were talking past each other on what the facts were without any corrective context coming from any place. If one side is going to say they did all this ground-penetrating radar and they found, I think the number was like 19 places to dig, but they only dug two, and then we cut to the sheriff and said we, we dug all these different places— well, why not confront, I don't know, say confront the sheriff with saying, well, no, you only dug in two. And he can say, no, that's not true. Yeah, or we cut, yeah. we we dug two places and it encompassed this whole area yeah, or yeah. something like that. It just, I, I just didn't quite know who to kind of believe in this. You or know, why, you, or why or we were why? supposed to believe somebody. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. obviously we, you know, we have, uh, I'm going to say an unsatisfied customer, but you've got a, a mother who's displeased and just doesn't believe the story, but there's not a lot to prove that it's him and not a lot really to refute that it isn't. Right. I actually have a theory about what happened there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's ex- there's a good chance her son was a Gacy victim, uh-huh. but they said that they removed all the heads from all the victims so that they could maybe in the future identify them through yeah. dental records or whatever. There's an outstanding chance that she got the wrong set of remains. I mean, that's another possibility that they kind of left, leave unexplored. And a couple of things in the last few episodes like that, like weird possibilities kind of unexplored. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise? It's on Peacock, which you can get for free through your Comcast app if you're a Comcast subscriber. Or you can do as Laura did and get the free trial and binge the thing and then let the free trial <laughs> expire. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. 
Um, I'm going thumbs up with this. I think that this was really interesting. There was a lot of good voices, a lot of historical context. I think that having the interview footage of John Wayne Gacy himself was huge. I think it maybe went on like one episode too long. I would have been cool with five episodes instead of six. But overall, I just thought it was really engaging and interesting and also horrific. But if this is a case that you want to know more about, this is um, a show that I would definitely recommend. Toya Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for John Wayne Gacy, The Devil in Disguise. This is a little bit of a hard one for me because, to be quite honest, I I have no interest in it at all. There's a really interesting New Yorker article from the early 90s where a New Yorker journalist interviews Gacy, and I haven't read it in 20 years or something, which I which I thought was pretty interesting, but it's but it was a little bit more about Gacy just not thinking clearly, like, and I think it comes across to a certain extent, though they don't call it out quite as much as this documentary, where he he's able to talk very seemingly lucidly while he's saying things that are just have no basis in reality whatsoever and are just really easily refuted. But because he had so much confidence in what he's saying, it, it seems real. Anyway, uh, it's a long way of saying, yeah, I, I don't feel like I can give it a thumbs down because I think it's very well made up until the last episode, which I was just like, why are we watching this? Yeah. It didn't make any sense to me. It's kind of like somebody made a really nice meal of food that I don't like. Ah. Um, So do you say, no, you suck? No, you say, this is a good meal of stuff that I don't like. So I give it a thumbs up with that big caveat. If you're like into the serial killer stuff, I think this is probably like awesome. So it's like but, you're a vegetarian and someone served you the best meatloaf that's ever been made, right? Yes. <laughs> what about you, Kevin Flynn? Thumbs up or thumbs down for John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise? Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up. It's not a big thumbs up. I thought that the first, well, yeah, I mean, the first uh, couple of episodes were really good. I thought it was an excellent job of recalling the whole John Wayne Gacy case, especially if you're someone who doesn't have all of this stuff memorized like many true crime fans do. What makes it, you know, stand apart is that we have a lot of John Wayne Gacy in it, and uh, you know, so that you can evaluate uh, him uh, for yourself. And you know, certainly the shifty eyes and uh, the evasive tactics, uh, you know, there's something to to learn from that. Uh, you know, I'm not really sort of interested in you know further conspiracy theories. I think there is you know some legitimate questions about whether or not there were other uh, victims. Because he was so prolific, you know, to think that maybe he just started killing and burying bodies when he was in the plains probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But as far as theories and conspiracies that law enforcement is doing all it can to keep from embarrassing people who worked there 40 years ago by not wanting to find out more about Gacy, I don't know if I'm buying any of that. But it's still overall, it's still a good pick. So thumbs up. Yeah, um, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I will say episodes five and six fell a little flat for me. Um, It doesn't matter whether or not John Wayne Gacy hung out with pornographers and pedophiles. It doesn't matter. I mean, he probably did. Does that change the fact that he killed at least 33 people and and 
through most of them in his crawl space? No, it does not change that fact. It's not a conspiracy whether or not he hung out with other people who were into bad things. A very likely thing is that the young men who worked for him at the time, who, surprised, didn't speak to the documentarians. I wouldn't either if I were them. Um, one of them obviously died by suicide, but the other one is still alive and wouldn't speak to them. I wouldn't be surprised if they knew about the stuff and did it any and like helped him because he basically was their livelihood. Like he had them under his control. So as we know from many other stories like this, you kind of go along to get along in a situation like that. They're also victims in their own way. So I just think that stuff was given too much oxygen. I think the stuff around, you know, other bodies being elsewhere is way more interesting. I would have rathered a five episode series that just covered whether or not there are more victims and not gone into that thing. So that to me was the word on this. But there's so much stuff here to me that is just true crime, excellent, done so well. I have to give this a thumbs up, aside from the fact that it's a case that's fascinated me for my entire adult and young life. Uh, Big thumbs up for me for John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week. It was an emergency stop for a car on I-95 in Daytona Beach. The driver told 911 her passenger, a 71-year-old mother, was struck by debris that smashed through the windshield. While attending to the large bleeding gash on her forehead, a passing motorist learned what caused the wound. He found a turtle on the floor of the car. It seems the reptile was crossing the interstate when it got flipped like a tiddlywink and blasted its way through the glass. Despite the laceration, the unidentified woman was not seriously hurt. Neither was the turtle who, according to the Associated Press, was released into nearby woods. The incident left the driver shell-shocked. I see what she did there. But, um... She told the 911 operator, quote, I swear to God, this lady has the worst luck of anything. Panel, getting hit by a high-speed turtle is very bad luck indeed. What other act of misfortune is likely to befall this woman? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, if she's staying in the Daytona Beach area, I, I think she needs to move along. I mean, she could accidentally end up in the Daytona 500. Um, you've got motorcycle yeah. week, wet T-shirt contest. I mean, there's there's a lot. It's space sh- uh, rocket launches, debris falling. She needs to move out of Daytona because I, mm. I mean the possibilities are endless at that point. What do you think, Toby? What other act of misfortune is likely to befall this woman who got hit with a high speed turtle? I, I think 
I don't know if it was in high school or middle school or something, uh, but I think my sister, when we were going down to Florida, read somewhere about walking catfish in Florida, mm. and oh. it totally freaked her out, and she didn't want to go. So uh, I, I think that would be my guess would be being swarmed on by walking catfish. Oh, what do you think, Kevin? Well, after getting struck with that tortoise, well, then she's probably going to get struck with that giant rabbit that we talked about last week. The hair? Yeah. The yeah. giant just, hair? Just slightly afterwards. Yeah. I don't know. I got uh, two words for everyone. Florida man. Florida man. There's got to be a Florida man somewhere in this story. All right. We should probably end the show. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Uh, We have some cats this week, Rebecca. So I don't know about you guys. You guys are dog people. So you probably have envy when friends of yours get like new little puppies and you're like, oh, they're so cute. I want to go steal them. I'm having big envy of Dan Tui. Oh. And Jen Stevens. And oh. they're adorable kittens, Yaz and Crew. Oh my twin God. Twin kittens. They're twins. I can't even tell them apart. They're like these little tabby main kittens. Neither can cats. they. <laughs> they're like, it's a cat. It's something. Poor Dan and Jen. Dan Tui is my colleague, uh, my beloved. Like best friend at work colleague, uh, they lost their cats uh, a couple a year or two ago, and it was really mm-hmm. sad. They were catless for a long time, and they just got these twin kittens that they literally cannot tell apart. It's pretty great. They are adorable. And Dan says that it is easier to buy, they've wanted kittens for a long time, but it's easier to buy illegal drugs, or so he'd guess, than procure some cats. <laughs> and he's not mm. wrong. The kitten market is insane since um, COVID. Everybody wants a kitten. So they found them, and he said just having them around the house, his blood pressure has gone down. Jen one is something to snuggle with that would fill her Instagram feed with cuteness. The best thing, according to Dan, is they're so funny together. We're mixing them up all the time, and they do everything together except for photobombing Zoom calls. They do that one at a time. Mm. And um, they are just – so what got me started on this is that one of them, I don't know which, was doing the Kitty Weenie <laughs> Neither sh- today. They were doing the <laughs> Kitty Weenie show, which uh, Pippin, the fat kitten, also likes to do. So um, Dan and Jen – They're lying their back. Yeah. Yeah. The Kitty Weenie Show. I promise I won't steal your kittens, but it might mean that I have to get another kitten because they're so darn cute. So Yaz and crew, cats of the week. They are pretty cute, even though I can't tell them apart either. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to pitch to you, by the way, you sought them out to be cats of the week. He didn't pitch these to you, right? No, they didn't pitch them. I was like, um, actually, somebody sent me a cat of the week, but they didn't have a picture. And I was like, I love those kittens so much. And every time there's a picture, I'm like, I'm going to take their kittens. Same. And anything that makes Dan Tui happy makes me happy. Laura Bricker, if folks want to pitch you their animals of any kind, dogs, cats, emus, llamas, we had a fucking seal a couple weeks ago, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. You can also email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com, which truthfully is how we get most of our cats of the week. Toy Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say it was, in fact, Sasquatch that murdered those potentially imaginary victims on Murder Mountain. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you and say to you, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our truly amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. That doesn't matter. Go to the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and 
Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Yes, we have four shows on our Patreon. It's pretty great. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome and end of semestered Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine show is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where the only thing buried is our unhealthy fascination with Bigfoot. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Wow, I'm being as efficient as fuck in this podcast. Boom, boom. All right. Move. This is what happens when you get the uh, the vaccines. Like, oh, I'm not going to fuck around tonight. I'm like, I'm drinking this rum and I'm getting into bed with a fucking hot water bottle the minute we're finished with this. <laughs> Why, you just got the vet? You got your second shot? Yeah, I got yeah. it yesterday and I feel horrible. Okay. Do you? Yeah, real bad. I felt bad the first time and I thought everyone said it Save only Save it for the after show. Everyone, okay. <laughs> Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.